Hello and welcome back to Miss Macintosh, my darling, the commentary. We are on chapter 51. I'm pretty sure this is a short chapter, so we should be done pretty quick today. Um, character list, Mr. Spitzer. Synopsis, a deep dive into Mr. Spitzer's view of life and death, his greatest fear, loneliness, and grief. If he is only dreaming, then he is accompanied by a great deal of people who are also dreaming. One, Mr. Spitzer feels like the widest seas are narrow straits while he walked reeling and uncertain. There was nothing to protect him, even though his mantle seemed to have a life of its own and wound around him like consciousness unconsciousness. He thought he carried in his breast pocket a small creature embalmed like his counterpart. Nothing strung together his nights and days. Everything is fragile like silken threads. A nimrod is a skillful, hun skillful hunter or an inept person. Two, Mr. Spitzer felt the odds being all stacked against him, for in a lifetime when he was so often wrong, he should be right at least once. And yet he feared that time when he when he should be right more than he feared that time when he should be wrong. Mr. Spitzer imagines himself as the conductor, the old lamplighter, and the oarsman. If he had lived to die once, would he not die twice, perhaps made apt by experience? He had never been the one, for he had died into division and should not die also into unity, unity dividing him whom division had not united with his love, dead love. For never could this love be born, never could he be never could be found that which had been lost, especially if it had lived only in a dream beyond verification by this body and this spirit and this love, love which was its own subject because it had no object, or could not distinguish between subject and object, love which took on many forms. Three, Mr. Spitzer thought whoever he might be, whatever he might become in the long annuals of time, which had already blotted him out of time, or which had already blotted him out, or timelessness, which he equated not with time, for never could they be the same, he surely had outlived himself. Cousin Hannah had never known him and had always mistaken him for someone else. She had probably been someone else in life and would be someone else in death. Mr. B Mr. Spitzer has still not revealed the secret he found after going through Cousin Hannah's personal effects. He felt her presence as if she were living as he went about his day. Although doubtless he was deceived as she was deceived, perhaps she had lived beyond the withdrawal of consciousness, and yet surely in the larger aspects there should be no time, and everything should not fade, fall, crumble. Mr. Spitzer didn't know, and no face told him who she was, as no face told him who he was. 4. Mr. Spitzer now imagines himself as the doctor who had lost his patient, although the symptoms of an immortal illness remained. A semaphore is the use of an apparatus to create a visual signal transmitted over distance. He imagines himself a lawyer who had lost his client and who had forgotten the subject of his litigations. He imagines music is written on his clothes with music breaking at his feet. He imagines himself an old postman, old lighthouse keeper, the musician, for he was the specter dreaming upon the specter and only he was real and all else okay oh sorry 
for he was the spectre dreaming upon the spectre, and only he was real, and all else was illusion. And thus there was no end but that which had transpired before the end, for everything had happened before, and there were many moony veils and shadows inside the unknown dimensions of the human heart, places where all contrarieties were equal, and even death was robbed of the solitary moment of its power, its, dimension, its dimensionless music. Mr. Spitzer had many problems and dilemmas, whether he was Joachim or Perone, so many that their number appalled him. The musician and gambler had become mixed up so that Mr. Spitzer fumbled, stumbled, veered, was always going back and forth upon errands of which he had forgotten the purpose, the cause which was a fugitive impulse, so it seemed that he might take his time, linger, do almost as he pleased, and if he missed one appointment, would keep another. It was often one he had not known of, had not anticipated. He talks about removing every stone from a path so no one would trip over one only to return and put them all back because he was afraid of the consequences of making a greater accident than his logic or his fine sense of order had foreseen for the chaos had its pattern. This is another thing like like um, another reason why I thought this might be a take on the Jewish tradition of Satan, I believe was because he, God used him to put obstacles in people's way in order to lead them the right way. That just reminded me of that. This is another example of the butterfly effect also Mr. Spitzer believes his actions have. Ganesha is the most popular and well-known Hindu deity who is the remover of obstacles. There are many quotes from Moliere to Zen sayings that remind people that overcoming obstacles is part of life. Charon is the ferryman of Hades in Greek mythology. He dreamed of his incandescence when his fire had already gone out, when there was not one live coal burning at the edge of a sea of dreams, loves, whispers coming from no source, whispers coming with their false memories of life and light and love. And should he be capable of self-contradictions? Better than that, there should be no one to contradict, no one to whom to whisper as papers rustled like the music of his cape as lights burned, glimmered, and went out. Okay, I'm going to work on this one a little bit. Just a second. Wow. Okay, if I can figure out what I want to do. Um... Sorry, I'm getting a little lengthy on the quotes, and I want to take these out. 
I'm getting near my limit on the second volume and still have the, I'll finish chapter 79 today, but then I have the, I still have 8081 and 82. Um, okay. Oh, I messed that up. Um, there it is. Okay, uh, six. Mr. Spitzer dreamed of death and love in many ways, more ways than he dreamed of life. He imagined there was a canceled postage stamp on his forehead, but that was better than his forehead being blank. Doubtless, there were many more hieroglyphs to the alphabet of reality than had ever appeared in reality, more than had ever been lighted by his searchlight of consciousness. Descartes' meditation one is skeptical of knowledge. If a person cannot know what they are dreaming when they have an experience, then a person may not have knowledge of the physical world. The wisdom paradox is the more a person learns, the more he is exposed to what he does not know. The variety of ways to see the world is infinite. In the philosophy of consciousness, there are generally two camps. Dualism, the conscious mind or conscious mental state is non-physical in some sense, and materialism, the mind is the brain and is caused by neural activity. Young's character seemed to believe in dualism or are trying to work out, especially Mr. Spitzer, what this world means if dualism is true. Mysterianism is a part of dualism and applies to gaining knowledge and that the cognitive capabilities of all organisms are limited by biology. William James found this liberating in Is Life Worth Living, where he writes, The human may be forever closed to certain aspects of the larger universe. Was life a legal fiction, a realm which could never be proved, disproved? Ah, uh, hold on, I have to... Try and make this a little bit clearer. Okay, and there was something back... Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Sorry, it's a short chapter, but apparently I'm going slowly because I, I don't know. Uh, seven. Mr. Spitzer describes himself as a creature of his habit invested with these eclas ecclesiastical rights, duties, offices, this attorney for the dead. He also claims to be a fisherman, old lamplighter, and a shipbuilder. He surely had gone on many errands of which he had forgotten the meaning and intent and had made a vacancy his amplitude. 
8, Mr. Spitzer believed he signed many illegal documents as if they were legal. As he waited for the ink to dry, he decided whether to change his mind or his will, or whether his mind or his will might not change him. He believed his ink was his blood. He used his seal as a power of attorney to act in another's place and conducted oh, I got the mail. all kinds of business which may only be the business with these which were nowhere except in the suddenly inflated in Sonora Street. Hold on. It's just advertisements. All right, let's go back. <laughs> He's already gone. He used his seal as a power of attorney to act in another's place and conducted all kinds of business, which may only be the business with these which were nowhere except in the suddenly inflated and sonorous dreams. <clears throat> of dying men who as consciousness diminished as unconsciousness increased as they came to that glimmering hedgerow of stars all must jump hedge between two worlds where worlds were confused as the clouds settled for the last time settling like pollen dust where buzz the winter bee i need to shorten that i'm a little too quote happy here i mean it's <clears throat> it's wonderful but Okay, the stars almost jump. Mr. Spitzer wondered if he was this dust, or he thought maybe there was no change, no transition as one jumped from world to world, for one jumped always into this world, no matter where one jumped, and some might take the short jump, and some might take the long jump. Mr. Spitzer imagines he moves around the world haphazardly with the wind, and who was he who lived by this fixed illusion that he lived, breathed, whispered when he was gone, and yet should not the secular error be divine? 9. Mr. Spitzer imagines he's an old Lazar who was summoned poor and diseased, the king of castaways, a groundhog, or he came here from another star and broken piano keys. He was deceived by false eternities. Oh my gosh, I am. This just does not make any sense. It's fixable, I just don't realize why I made the mistake in the first place. Okay. Let's see. 10. Mr. Spitzer thinks about being a lawyer to all things in nature and not just people. The boundaries between life and death, these which were more a matter of definition than of certainty, he imagines instead of being an estate lawyer, he was one of divorce, who had come to unite couples, one who knew the division of the most loving pair like the division of body from soul, soul from body, the one body, the other soul, and wondered if the body and the spirit or the spirit and its love would be able to arrive at the same time at their destination. 
Mr. Spitzer again seems to talk about the third eye, his circular eye which seemed to turn his forehead. The eye <clears throat> looked in as the eye looked out. He saw the interior world also. The third eye is a mystical and esoteric concept of a speculative invisible eye in the middle of the forehead which has perception beyond ordinary sight. He wants to wear dolphin skin, reflecting the chameleon colors of reality, for then his clothing would have reflected his desire like the rose and the green and the gold light streaming through him, and his body would have been his soul as his soul would have been his body, and that transparency scarcely to be distinguished from the many-colored air, for his body and his soul and his clothing would have been woven into such unity that one could not be divided from the other. The consciousness would have contained what the consciousness contained, when even the unconscious with its shattered gleamings, and there would have been no threshold between two lives, between two deaths, as he had lived to know, and there would be no eternity but the temporal following, the temporal as all things faded into all things, the body and the soul flowing as one. Okay. 11. Despite everything he imagined, Mr. Spitzer seems to come at that point when man was dying. Dying as into a great flood of the cosmos, precipitating into the chaos. And how often he had observed that just at that moment of expiration when man was breathing his last, or the moment before, or the moment afterward, all things which had been real became unreal, and all unreal things became real. Mr. Spitzer was most interested in the moment after. The way of nature was ever the laconic. Laconic means using very few words. 12. Mr. Spitzer knew that there was no way to completely dispel darkness. Life was but a small circle of light. He believes he is the supernumerary star. Supernumerary means in excess of the normal or requisite number. Oh, and I had the... Great. <sighs> of course I had to misspell that. Because I'm working on my iPad and I have to erase the whole word. Um, had he not lighted that darkness which was never lighted before, who knew what was real? Who knew what was unreal? Or where one ended and the other began? Or whether indeed there was only the illusion? Perhaps life had ever been a minority, and there had never been that majority. Perhaps life had always been rare, perhaps only this dying moment, this exhalation. Mr. Spitzer found it impossible to focus upon one problem or prospect or know which world it was, which man he was, whether the living or the dead. He felt every separate phenomena seemed to him a musical chord, whether it was life or death. For this world died when the star died, and they were ever one, the star dying within, perhaps a moment afterward. Man might be the finest musician, but when laid away, and not played by anyone, he was a poor instrument. Mr. Spitzer imagined a sand grain had blown upon him from some other star, or a sand grain like an atom had lodged in him from some other being, perhaps even his own being long ago, so that he had was become another in this life, blotting him out a stranger to him, although cloaked with his body and his soul. And this was the reason for his doubt. He had made 
from a negative principle all beauties of the lost creation, a zero minus zero, and this was his affirmation and his shadow. He had lived by proxy, so should he not die by proxy? And thus escape the ultimate experience of his self-knowledge, not knowing whether he was the living or the dead. Ultimately, he does not know. 13. Mr. Spitzer could never confront himself in the void where he would not be at least the shadow, murmur, whisper of the waves deceiving him, streaming of light in a dead world. 14. Mr. Spitzer believed he gave a voice to inarticulate and inanimate things. 15. Mr. Spitzer thinks that if reality was a horse or a ship, he would only know one small part of the thing. This is similar to the blind men and the elephant parable, whose morals that humans have a tendency to claim absolute truth based on their limited subjective experience, and they ignore others' limited subjective experiences, which may be equally true. Had he given birth to his dead twin, becoming death and life, or had his dead twin given birth to him, becoming life and death, or were they ever one and yet not understood? Mr. Spitzer sometimes dreamed of things in the future and in the present and the past, flowing into one as the waters of the womb flowed into the waters of the grave. For was not something true? And was he not true, even though his being not true? Was he not his dead twin who breathed, sighed, whispered, was the light upon the water, was the wind blowing through an empty house, was a knocking on a door? Sixteen. Oh, good gracious. Okay, we're halfway. Um, Mr. Spitzer thought that all definitions failed. He thought of himself as a man of many parts, and if caught between the unknown past and the future, which might never be, he trusted the past more than he trusted the future, for the past increased as the future diminished and the past was by comparison secure, safe, preserved, kept by him surely somewhere when all else failed, when even his own identity grew uncertain, when he knew not who he was, and his love informed those moments which were dead, and the dead lived through him. Perhaps he was the decoy and not the man. He loved death, but so much had deceived him. He had found the impossibility of committing suicide, for he had died merely by living, by continuing from moment to moment. So that's the middle-aged conundrum isn't it at some point you realize there's a lot more years behind you than are ahead of you 17 mr spitzer felt his body and his soul were at odds if he represented himself as a lawyer he would have sued himself and yet could lie confront his own illusion by which he was caught between two worlds between two lives between two deaths and could he confront the illusion of another man where all was illusion and if all were illusion, then all might be true, as often he had remarked. All might be true if all were false, if there were no note of contrast but his own little note. He wondered of what use he was in this world or another. He thought he might be guilty of more mistakes and accuracies, and perhaps he had confused his conscience with his consciousness, and perhaps he, his was greater consciousness than his case required, so much being hidden in this life as in this death. He felt he was already gone, and yet he remained. There was a certain wildness in this fact. 
18, Mr. Spitzer thought of himself as a gambler because he believed in the law, yet pursued lawlessness. Based on chance he lived, which had never evolved from an original sin, unless it was the sin or errors in the heart of a dreaming or a splitting god, a flaw in the creation permitted this creation. An old cocker and an old piano keyboard spoke to him about the missing pieces that allowed these mistakes to occur. Maybe he was the thing that God had missed. Mr. Spitzer felt he hadn't committed any errors of the flesh, and his faults were more like a typo. God knew what, and God knew not what. And should he question his judgment or quarrel with his creation, which was nothing in itself and had never been itself? He imagined himself not the thing but the echo, ghost or memory of the thing, perhaps more beautiful, more complete than the reality had ever been, especially if there had been no reality but this dream dreaming. So, <clears throat> I like this that he says he doesn't, uh, th- that he never evolved from an original sin, unless it was the sin of errors in the heart of a dreaming or a splitting God. So if there was any error created, it was created by God. Oh, what is it that there's... Oh, I can't think of it now. Um, there was something along those lines. 19. For this reason, he did not argue with others. Mirages, especially as he existed only as a mirage himself. Mr. Spitzer compares himself to Mr. Chandelier, or reflected light in prisons. He dreamed of blind arrows, for whom there was no time and no face of love and no act of superficial recognition of subject or object. And no love in this flesh and in this body, but the love exceeding the limitations of the individual and of life and death. Eros is a concept in ancient Greek philosophy referring to sensual or passionate love. It has been used in philosophy and psychology as an equivalent to life energy. He felt he was blindly making his way through life, not knowing whether it was death or love, and perhaps they could not be divided. And I think Eros is going to come into play with the ladder of Eros and Plato's Symposium. I know that, ca- that came up for me working in the last chapters. 20. It dawns on Mr. Spitzer that he will never see his brother again, unless he saw it through all the mazed images of the dead, through all the differences, and that if the best part of him was dead yet lived, it was no more miraculous that he lived through death than if he were some crazy old gambler who had thrown his last dice. Although he was trying to go legal, trying to practice law where there was no law and no lawyer, and never had he consulted a judge, trying to be on the right side who had been on the left side and had been biased. His effort to go straight had made him crooked. No matter how straight he went, his way would seem finally circular. Trying to oppose law on a gambler probably seemed like a kind of death. Since Mr. Spitzer had not practiced law for years, how would he know? He imagined everything he'd done in law and his music and items had been chewed up by a mouse. Mr. Spitzer did not consider himself gifted in the field of litigations, preferring the seething silence to the sound, preferring mystery to exposure, preferring a cloak to nakedness, his sense of disorder growing as his sense of order grew, for great were these distractions. Twenty-one. Mr. Spitzer dreamed he had a cancelled postage stamp on his forehead, but it was a postage stamp of no known realm and an issue sought by no collector, perhaps upon a letter never sent. There was a drunk junk drawer filled with things that he dreamed about, and he shares his other dreams that sometimes end in real life bruises. He thinks this might have been what happened to his brother that he dreamed and walked off the edge of the roof. Colored glass reminded him of his own transmuting medium, the muted opalescence. Mr. Spitzer dreamed he was his brother who exchanged letters with lepidopterists about butterflies. Lepidopterists is someone who studies moths and butterflies. 
Only the butterflies were not of this world. Mr. Spitzer dreamed he was his brother Perone. The present seal is used to mark correspondence from the President to Congress and is a symbol of the presidency itself. President Monroe was the fifth President of the United States. President Garfield was the 20th President of the United States. The Grand Union Army may refer to the Grand Army of the Republic, which is a fraternal organization composed of veterans of the Union Army, Navy, and Marines who served in the American Civil War. A seal of the New England Lighthouse Underwriters Okay, so uh, a seal of the New England Lighthouse Underwriters. There is no reference for this specific company. An underwriter is a person or company that underwrites an insurance risk. Boston Life and Trust, there is no reference to this specific company. It is most likely a life insurance and underwriter type of company. Nepenthe is a drug described in Homer's Odyssey as banishing grief or trouble from a person's mind. Mr. Spitzer dreamed that it might be that his dream was real, that the dream was the only reality there was. Society for the Protection of Mariners Widows, there is no reference to the specific organization. However, there are several organizations still in existence today that financially support seafarers, fishermen, and their dependents. Hook and Ladder Society is an organization that supports firefighters. Mr. Spitzer compares death to the great launderer who washes us all. All Old Lamplighters Annuities was most likely an organization that supported lamplighters when it was a profession. Charon is the very man of hates. Mr. Spitzer knows he has made big mistakes like stamping last wills and testaments which had been settled in probate court. Baltimore, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad was the first common carrier railroad and the oldest railroad in the United States. 22. Mr. Spitzer didn't worry about the larger mistakes he made because they were done in another world, and he would be right who was now wrong, or so he hoped. He would not be wrong as he was now. 23. Mr. Spitzer wondered why there is this quarrel between real and unreal, albeit of one context, and even the dream of immortality requiring this present rumbling framework, and why should he question life which was itself an aspect of death, or ask of death a greater stability than life had given? He asked why he should try to strike a balance between these unholy powers when perhaps the imbalance was life. The odds were against this planetary experiment. <laughs> life had given no certain foundation stone, none but these continual shiftings, all those things which had been unreal and buried in man's life suddenly becoming real. Mr. Spitzer talks about it going to an oyster bar where the waiter knows him and knows when he is blind and sits for hours and why he did not give up his hat. Should he give up his present body, he would also give up his dream that he lived when he was dead. And you and you see that. I don't. I I see that in books, in other media, books and movies, TV, um, where death is just as complicated. Like the afterlife is just as complicated as this life. And Mr. Spitzer wonders the same thing. Twenty-four. Mr. Spitzer cannot ask others for a greater stability than his own or a greater sorrow. Those who tried to communicate him with her communicate with him were as demented as himself, and they seemed only to reflect or extend his problems so that the only ease he had was in considering them at a glance as they were presented to him and in investigating not too far. He had learned to accept a man in his own estimate no matter how wrong. Mr. Spitzer knew all men contained these abysses. He was afraid to look beyond the surface. Men who on the outside looked like tramps claimed to be famous and powerful, and who was Mr. Spitzer not to believe the unbelievable? Mr. Spitzer would not question another man's illusions, or as in Catherine's case, ask if the man she loved was living or dead. This has been implied before that Catherine often mistook Joaquin for Perone, whom she had loved, but Perone had rejected her. 
Mr. Spitzer would never ask a woman's age because chivalry demanded tactfulness. Deceit demanded mutual agreement. People approached Mr. Spitzer from mists and fogs. Beacon Hill is a historic neighborhood in Boston, Massachusetts. He talks about meeting a woman with the zodiac on her umbrella that she twirls. She exists out of time and is this twirling dream, her dream within his dream, or his dream within her dream, or his dream within her dream within his dream. She controls time with her umbrella. He talks about two pianists who can play in perfect synchronicity when they are a thousand miles apart through telepathy. They were out of sync if they tried to play on the same stage. The great concert master refused to pay them because they would not play together, and they sought legal advice from Mr. Spitzer, Spitzer who turned them down. Mr. Sp Mr. Spitzer believed he was now in that realm where all gradations and all music were one long swelling of the music which had faded before it was ever heard, for he was his dead brother now. Mr. Spitzer talks about a man who the concert master refused to pay for a full day's work because he only had to blow his horn twice a day. Mr. Spitzer told him to get his revenge by not blowing his horn at all. Let the music never begin and let the music never cease. 25. There was a roaring in Mr. Spitzer's head as vision was blurred, and he thought either his heart had stopped beating or only beating in sporadic memory. He thought his, this explained his obliviousness. To the distinctions between one individual and another individual, all might be one when stripped of the dreams, errors, masks of reality, or illusions of life and death, between which there was only a fading boundary line. One knew the heart best in retrospect. He had gone from life to death, so should he not go from death to life? And why should the second journey seem longer than the first? And why should the short journey seem longer than the longest journey man might ever know? 26. Mr. Spitzer thought all of this was caused by his loneliness, the pleasures of the lonely. His light, life, was as small as a firefly and glittered as if there were a world where there was only an imaginary world. He was alone and talking to himself, yet he was not alone in these errors and these dreams. It seems Mr. Spitzer is also mourning the fact that he will never have children that also means he is dead. He thinks he should have been a doctor because he could have treated patients who suffered from an immortal illness, one for which there was no cure, for if the illness were as mortal as the patient who must live beyond the beating or the fluttering of his heart as he had lived beyond the first heartbeat. Mr. Spitzer considers himself the perfect instrument, a music not heard, a night through which he had not lived. 27. Mr. Spitzer sees everything, repeat and double before his eyes, even in this sad world, so like the next that it was perhaps the next, and why should he wait for it? There was nothing dependable. He felt more like a doctor waiting on a dying patient than a lawyer because he saw his clients when they were the most disturbed, taking care of their last testaments on their, and on their deathbed. Mr. Spitzer had the proper bedside manner and mournful equanimity for the job. He knew there was no threshold between world and world. There was another world, perhaps this world, which is itself these phantoms, these dreams dreaming themselves. That There was perhaps only one great heartbeat sounding through all of silence and as to death. What further change could it bring? We were all transmuted while we'd lived. When Mr. Spitzer paid his last respects to a dead man, he often saw the dead man, his ghost, the next day. 28. Mr. Spitzer always met people who suffered from some form of complex illusion beyond necessity. He describes the different people he, was, he has come in contact with, and they seem to be suffering from delusional disorder, mental illness where the person is suffering from psychosis, Mr. Spitzer thinks that it was a blind painter who had painted us all. He claims blind portrait painters and deaf music critics are the norm. Good gracious, there's a lot of sirens. Which makes all the dogs bark. 
Catherine claimed to have traveled all over the world while sleeping. He believed that all dreamers dream the same dreams, even when separate, even when they never met, that there was perhaps only one great dream informing all dreamers and all dreams, one great dreamer dreaming through dreams. I, I kind of have some Jungian connotations around it. The collective unconscious. I know I put a note in here somewhere later on in the book. Mr. Spitzer claims he's met many dreamers since his brother died. Dreaming people had expanded his law practice and he might met many interesting people that way. One woman realized her dream of marrying a Chinese emperor three minutes before she died. Mr. Spitzer thought if in an entire lifetime this seemed but a short time, this percentage was about what life offered. <laughs> in most lives, three minutes of happiness seemed perhaps all there might be or less than there had been. Should one count the time at all as happiness? For was it not timeless, something transpiring beyond time? Mr. Spitzer lived by mourning the death of the deathless one. Besides, he had lived long enough to know now that the greatest happiness might come through the sorrow of waiting, of postponement, for one might know that when happiness came, life melted like the snowflake in the summer's cloud, and thus one's happiness might be one's death, even the death of one's sorrow, that sorrow which had been one's happiness. 29. Mr. Spitzer exclaims that infinite, what infinite paradoxes there were in the lidded or the lidless box. This may be another allusion to Schrodinger's cat. In current scientific research, quantum mechanics has updated Schrodinger's cat. Theorists, theorists Eugene Wigner in 1961 imagined a friend is inside a laboratory monitoring a radioactive specimen. When the specimen decays, a detector flashes. When the person imagines he is outside the lab, and when the friend sees a detector flash, he knows that the specimen has decayed. To the other person outside the lab, the specimen, his friend, and the entire lab hover in a blur of possible states. The person and their friend seem to occupy two distinct realities. In 2020, physicists performed an experiment and proved this scenario to be true. Out of this cubism was formed. In this theory, each person constructs a set of beliefs about the world, based on their interactions with it, and this becomes their subjective mini-reality. The big reality in which everyone lives emerges from the collisions of all subject subjective mini-realities. Wow, I didn't know I'd put all this much in there. In another study, perception appear, does appear to be the construct of the brain. Humans are capable of meta-thought, and what humans think matter to them, irrespective of how the mind arises out of matter. Mr. Spitzer has described himself as weaving through time. Recent research has shown that we do not see the world in real time, but are rather, but are rather on about a 15-second delay so that our brain does not become overtaxed. The researchers believe this leads to hallucinations. So that, oh, I thought that was new research and I thought that was just so interesting that we do not see in real time because to see in real time would overload the brain and cause hallucinations. We need this 15 second, about a 15 second delay in what we see in order to process. But 15 seconds is pretty short, but I mean pretty long too that you, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing either way you look at it. Um, but yeah, so hallucinations could be part of that 15, that less than 15 second delay. I mean, that could explain a lot of stuff. 
Um, okay. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, in fact, there are so many fusions. Okay, uh, Mr. Spitzer, I have to uh, do better transitioning between these things. Mr. Spitzer thinks, thinks there were so many fusions of dreamers and dreams that he was confused, and perhaps also he was not the best of all possible witnesses. Mr. Spitzer describes an old woman who thought she had given birth to a reindeer and that she had antlers. She removed all the chandeliers in her house because she was afraid of getting her antlers tangled in them, and she was afraid of hunters, especially men in red coats. People humored her. She was found dead in her bed with a gold arrow through the heart. 30. Mr. Spitzer wonders how many people who never met their loves and never married were involved with complicated marital problems and domestic woes from which they could never be extricated, particularly the single were married in this dream of death who had not been married in this life, that they were most driven by obsessive love, splitting, splittings which by no means simplified themselves but were many faceted. So there's a little explanation of all these people are single in, in the book, and so he doesn't find because he's one of them and they don't find he doesn't imagine that their lives are any less complicated than if you were married mr spitzer thought he was not the only one who could not endure that their dreams should become real which was although living solely that his brother might live might have dropped dead if he had discovered that he had succeeded in his forlorn and solitary endeavor that his brother lived and never died that they had been simultaneous for one must be the dream of the other and both could not be real if there was reality itself that which was unreal. The dream was harnessed and not to the reality, and perhaps only the dream endured. Whoever questioned him must question also the dream and wish for its terminus, wish that there should be a clarification of mysteries. Last paragraph, 31. Mr. Spitzer lists the people he is afraid of, the naked valet, the mad courtier, and the silent horn. He sensed being born from grandeur and paradise, so when he was born, he wondered if he would never find it again. For the dream of life, even like that of death, must ever contain within it an element of the unrealized, the unrealizable, else all would be complete. We lived by an imperfect concatenation, even as we died. The greatest dreamer must be the careless dreamer, winding up in all affairs at once, dreaming like the heart of God upon a world never created, uncreated, this world dreaming itself, even when there was no counterpart. Oh, that, I did not expect this sh shorter chapter to take me so long. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening. I hope you have at least three minutes of happiness today. Bye.